want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we'll pick up where we left off this past Sunday in verse 11 and walk down through the end of the chapter, verse 32 this morning. And as we do that, I don't know if many of you grew up in church or not. I grew up in church and I remember certain Bible stories that I heard as a kid like the back of my hand. And there were stories that I heard as a kid that really for me stuck in such a way that I just have never forgotten. And typically... Certainly you have the virgin birth, certainly you have Jesus' crucifixion, but I'm talking about the stories that are lesser known, maybe the stories that for us we look at and we think, gosh, that's a bit terrifying. For me, one of the first stories that I remember vividly hearing was the story of Abraham and God calling him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, to which me being the only son... I looked at my dad a little bit different after that. But I remember that story as a kid. I remember the story of Noah and the ark and remember what it was like and thinking, how did that happen? How did he get all those animals on the ark and how bad did it stink on the ark? Like as a kid, those are the stories that stuck with me that I remember that I thought about. And then as you fast forward into the New Testament, the story that we're going to cover today, one of the parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 here is a story that I have heard, I can't tell you how many sermons about. And typically they were around revival time at the church. Most churches don't do revival anymore, but it was an entire week set aside where you go to church every night and you have an evangelist there and he preaches from God's word. And this story was the story that most of the time they covered. It's the story of the prodigal son. And for all of the years of sermons that I heard about the prodigal son, one thing that I never heard much about was the fact that there are actually two sons represented in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And it wasn't until I read a book by Tim Keller called Prodigal God that the second brother that we're going to encounter really stuck out to me. That I really saw that there's more to the text than just the son who walks away from the father. And as we walk through the text this morning, as you see the title, The Lost Sons. There are actually two sons who are lost in Luke chapter 15. I want to read the text for us and then I want us to walk back through it together. Verse 11, Luke records, speaking of Jesus, and he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, 
who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house... He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. You would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, we are in week three of this series called Who's Your One, where we've been talking about what it means for each of us to be in the places of influence we find ourselves in and to look around and recognize that there are people who are far from God who need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, God has tasked you and he's tasked me with enabling 
the gospel message to flourish in this community that we call home. So whether we are in our neighborhoods or we are at the grocery store or in a restaurant or at the gas station or whether we go back to school in the coming weeks, wherever we find ourselves, God desires to use you and He desires to use me to reach people who are far from Him. And we find out about the heart of God for those who are far from Him in Luke chapter 15. And so as we've been walking our way through Luke chapter 15, we have encountered Jesus telling three different stories. This is the third of the stories that Jesus tells, but in every single story, with the backdrop of people listening to him, many who are far from God, many who the religious leaders of the day called sinners, and the religious leaders sitting there, Jesus takes the opportunity to share with them three stories. The first week we covered the first story of a lost sheep. That the shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes and searches for that one sheep. And when that sheep is found, he brings it back on his shoulders and he celebrates the fact that he has found the lost sheep. And then last week we looked at the lost coin of a woman who has 10 coins, 10 coins given to them by her husband on her wedding day and she loses one of those coins and she does everything she can sweeping up, cleaning up to find this one lost coin. And now this week, Jesus moves from talking about sheep, he moves from talking about coins to talking about people. And he tells the story that we just read here of a son who made an incredible decision. And let's look at it beginning in verse 11. And as you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together. I want to paint this picture for you. I want us to walk through the text and then I want us to come back to it and, and look at some points of application for our own lives. But here's the main idea. God's heart for the lost does not change regardless of whether someone is quote-unquote far from Him or whether someone is near to Him. And when the lost is found, the celebration is incredible. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to notice what Luke does for us here. Luke is going to give us a glimpse into the story as Jesus tells us, and there are two sons that are on display in this story. Remember that as I said earlier, Jesus is talking to two groups of people as he's telling this parable. He's talking to what the religious leaders called the sinners, If you remember, they were chastising Jesus, saying, why would you eat with sinners? Why would you interact with them? And Jesus is looking at them and saying to them, you may know the finer points of the law, you may understand the scriptures well, but you have totally missed the heart of God. You are just as far from God, even though you're in church, than if you had walked far away from Him in the world. I want you to notice the contrasting stories of the two sons here. Verse 11, there's a man who had two sons. I want you to notice what the younger says beginning in verse 12 to the father, father, 
Give me the share of property that is coming to me. That's a bold request, isn't it? What you need to understand at this point in time in history is that the older son would have been entitled to a double portion of what everybody else had received. And so this being the younger son and only having one other brother, the older brother was to get two-thirds of the estate of the father. This younger son was only to get one-third. But notice that what he does here is say to his father, I don't want it when you're dead. I want it now. In essence, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead so that I could get what's coming to me. You got to imagine the father's heart breaking as he hears this. His younger son would rather him be dead than alive. But it says, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So catch this picture. He goes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me what's going to come to me when you die. The father says, okay, that's what you want here. Here's a third of everything that I own. So this younger son takes that and he goes into a far country and he parties. So much so that he spends everything that he owns. Everything that the Father has given him, he squanders that money away. I don't know if you've ever seen the stories of famous pro athletes who play for millions and millions of dollars and then about five years later end up in bankruptcy. I don't know about you, but I look and I think, how how do you spend that kind of money? You look and go, how, how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you spend $150,000 a month? Some of you are like, I'd love to give that a shot. <laughs> but what we see is that that's exactly what this younger son does. He takes a third that his father would have left him when he dies, and he goes and he squanders all of it. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He spent all that he had and then all of a sudden a famine comes. And he looks around and he says, I got to eat. I got to do something. So he says he hires himself out to a farmer who sends him into the fields And he has a new job. This son's job is to feed pigs. My great-grandfather had pigs, and pigs are nasty. I remember going and eating at their house when I was a young kid, and 
we would finish up and there'd be more than enough food left on the table to feed an army that could come through. And we'd always look at it and go, what are we going to do with this? And my granddad, great granddad would say, we'll go give it to the pigs. And it didn't matter what you put into the, the cage with the pigs, they'd eat it. And so that's where this younger son finds himself feeding the pigs longing, listen to this, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Now think about that. Going from having what was probably pretty incredible wealth to squandering all of it to looking at the pigs eating and going, that doesn't look bad. I'd take that. And at this point in time, verse 17 says, he came to himself. Notice the conversation that goes on in his head at this point. It says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Notice verse 18. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, have you ever found yourself in this position when you were a child? Thinking of how you're going to negotiate with your parents to get out of the trouble that you're in? Just me? I remember backing my truck into another truck when I was 16 and trying to figure out how to have that conversation with my dad. And that's exactly what this son is doing here. In his mind, he has this picture of what dad's going to say. He has this picture of how dad is going to respond if he tries to come back. And what he thinks at this point in time is that dad's not going to receive me as a son anymore. That dad is going to look at me and he's going to say, you don't deserve to be my child. You don't deserve to sit at my table. I think Pastor Scott's playing jokes on me this morning. (laughs) One more time, and I'll grab a different microphone, all right? But at this point in time, the son comes to himself, has this conversation in verse 18, and says, here's what I'm going to say to my dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's the conversation that he plays out in his mind as he looks at the scenario and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm simply going to go back home and I'm going to say to my dad, dad, I know I don't deserve to be a son anymore, but can I just be a servant? So with that rolling around in his head, verse 20 arose and came to his father while he was still a long way off, his father, notice, saw him. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
Now at this point in time, what you have to understand is that a father in this culture would have done none of those things. For a son who had done what this son had done, he would have been absolutely cut off. But not this father. He sees him while he's still a long way off. He has compassion on him. He runs. He embraces him. He kisses him. Notice verse 21, the son said to him. Here's the rehearsed speech, right? This is what he had made up in his mind that he was going to say to his father. Here's his bargaining chip. Dad, I know I'm in trouble. I'll just be a servant. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I want you to notice what the father does here is not lecture his son about what he should have done differently. In fact, he has compassion on him. He runs and embraces him. While he is still a long way off, he brings him back into his house. He says to the servants of which this son said, I'm satisfied just to be a servant. He says to his servant, go grab the robe. Go grab the ring. Go grab shoes for his feet. And let's throw a party. Because my son is home. He was lost. But he's found. At this point in time, what we recognize and see is that Jesus, as he's telling this parable, is speaking to those who at that culture, at that point in time, the religious leaders would have said are far from God. Those who were sinners that Jesus was eating with. At this point in time, they were looking on them and looking down their nose at them and saying they don't deserve to be able to come to the table with the Father. But Jesus here says the Father's arms are open wide even for those who are far from Him. I want you to notice verse 25. His older son was in the field. How many of you have ever thought that your sibling could get away with anything? How many of you have ever thought, if I had done that, Mom and dad would have beat me. But not them. I have a younger brother that's 14 years younger than me. And whereas I, after hearing the story of Abraham and Isaac and was terrified looking at my dad, my brother could get away with anything. You can ask my wife. It was absolutely astounding. I would go home. As an adult who's married, he's 14 years younger than me, and he would do something, and I'd look at my parents and go, who are you people? 
I would have never been able to do that and get away with it. I would have never been able to say what he just said or do what he just did. And that's the mindset here of the older brother. He's in the field. He's working. He's still in the father's house. He's still doing what the father wants him to do. It says he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And the servant in verse 27 says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and he refused to go in. Think about that for a second. His younger brother had taken a third of the estate, had gone and squandered it all, and had come home. And the Father who is representative of our Heavenly Father receives him with open arms. But the older son is mad. So angry that he would not even go into the house. He throws his own pity party outside. And word gets to the father, and the father came out, the text says, and entreated him. Now think about the response to the father, to the older, to the younger brother earlier in the text. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He brings the robe and the ring and he puts it on his finger, shoes on his feet. He throws a party and here his older son he does the same thing. That word entreat there means he comes out and literally begs the older son to come in. And I can hear the argument that takes place. To read a little bit into the text, you can know what's being said right here. The older brother, how could you do this? Do you know what he was doing? Why would you take him back? You should have just cut him off. Why are you throwing a party? Why are you celebrating that he came back? His father answers him in verse 29, look, these many years, this is what the, younger, the older brother says, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice that, doesn't even call him his brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Let's be honest. We may would have said the same thing. We may would have looked at our younger brother and said, he doesn't deserve that. He isn't entitled to that. 
How could you treat him like that? But then it gets more personal. The older son says, you've never done anything for me. Listen, this son comes back who's done all of these things and you celebrate. And you've never given me any of that. Notice the response of the father in verse 31. Son, you are always with me. Listen to this. All that is mine is yours. And he's not saying that figuratively. Literally. Everything the father owns, the two-thirds that was remaining of the inheritance that the younger son had left at this point in time belongs to the older son. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As we look back at the text this morning, here's a couple of truths I want you to take note of. The first is this, you can be lost regardless of whether you are, quote, far from God or, quote, near to Him. Think about that in relation to the text this morning. The younger son was far from God. Far from the Father. It was evident at this point in time he had walked away from the Lord completely. Walked away from his Father completely. And he was representative of the sinners that Jesus was eating with. But at this point in time, the older son is just as lost as the younger son. He doesn't understand the heart of his Father He's not in relationship with him. If he was, he would have known the heart of his father when the son came home. But he doesn't. He doesn't understand that. And he's representative in the text of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders of the day who were in church but didn't know who Jesus was, the Messiah. So as I think about that, here's something that it reminds me of right now is You may have come in this morning and for you in this story, you are the one who is far from God. You've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you may look and say, Michael, what you don't know is my past history. What you don't know is all the things that I've done. You don't know all the sin that's in my life. You don't know all that I have done. There's no way that God could love me. And yet I look at the text and I say, no, that's exactly who God loves. You are exactly the one if you will turn back to Him, if you will turn from your sin and come to Him, He will receive you just as the Father in this text did. But here's what's maybe more dangerous for us, for us who are in church, that it's possible for you to sit in church your entire life and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You come through and do the motions. But the reality is you are just as far from God as the one that you think is far from God. And that's the problem with the older son here. He's still in the father's house. He's still doing all the right things, but he doesn't know the heart of the father. He doesn't have a relationship with his father. 
And you may be sitting here this morning, and for you, you've grown up in church, you've been in church, maybe you walked an aisle at some point, but the reality for you this morning is you are far from God. You put on the religious face, you do the right things, but you don't have a relationship with Him. Let me just say to you this morning, it is a terrifying place to be, to have deceived yourself by the things that you do in church thinking that that will save you from your sins. It won't. At this point in time, Jesus is looking at the religious leaders as he's telling this parable and saying to them, you may know the finer points of God's law. You may understand the scriptures, at least you think you do, but the reality is you don't know that here I am sitting in front of you and I am the son of God, the savior that you say you've been looking for and longing for and you've completely missed it. But I want you to notice the second truth. The heart of God towards the lost doesn't change regardless of whether they are far from Him or they are near Him. Proximity to the Father doesn't change the heart of the Father. In this story, that's what we see play out. The son who is far from him, who has taken and squandered everything that when he turns to come back home, that the Father sees him far off and runs to him. But notice he does the exact same thing for the older son who's right at home, who's having his own pity party outside. The father comes and begs him to come in. God's heart for people doesn't change based on whether they seem to be close to Him or whether they seem to be very far from Him. You know, it's dangerous for us as a church is to look and to see people in our community and to have thoughts run through our minds where we say, whoa, I'm not sure God can save that person. You've got that person in your life that you look at and you think, "Mm, I don't know. I know what they do. I know how they act. They are the younger son. And as the older son who's sitting in church, we go, I'm not going there. I want you to notice the heart of the Father for those that are far from Him. But I also want you to notice the heart of the Father for those who are near Him. It's interesting, Billy Graham made this comment that he estimated anywhere from 50 to 70% of people who are in church don't actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't come in week after week and convince yourself that you are a follower of Jesus when you've never taken that step of actually surrendering your life to Him. God doesn't save you on the basis of your goodness. He saves you on the basis of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross. I'll never forget 
serving at the very first church I served at and seeing a man in his 80s who was a deacon at various points in the church, had been at the church for years and years and years, come to the point of finally admitting that he had never trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He had just played the religious game. But he didn't know the heart of the Father. And seeing him walk down the aisle and grab our pastor's hand and say, I don't know Jesus. I've convinced myself that I did. No one in the church would know anything different. But the reality is, he didn't know him. For you this morning, that may be where you sit today. And this is not meant to cause doubt or anything like that. This is simply meant to say to you, do you know the heart of the Father? Have you experienced salvation through Jesus Christ? And I want you to notice lastly the third truth. The celebration when the lost is found is always the same. We saw it when the lost sheep was found. We saw it when the lost coin was found. We see it here when the son who is far from the father comes home. The celebration is always the same. Church family, I've shared this with you. My hope and my prayer is that we would do a lot of celebrating at North River Church. That we would do a lot of celebrating of people who are far from God coming to experience Jesus Christ as their Savior, being forgiven of their sins. That we would see people who are even in church who truly have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior come to faith in Him and celebrate. That we would see people, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, who's your one, who's the one person in your life that God desires to use you to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see them come to faith in Jesus Christ and we would be able to celebrate. I want to be a happy church. I want to be a church that celebrates, that sees the lost found. And the reality is it will take you and it will take me being faithful to do what God has called us to do to see that happen. Maybe this morning it will take you responding for the very first time to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you are far from Him or you grew up in church, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? As our worship team makes their way back, For you this morning, this may be the opportunity that God has placed before you to respond to the gospel. You've got all kinds of excuses. You say, Michael, I'm, I think I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I'm not sure God could save me. 
He can. Say, Michael, I, I, I'm in church. I may be embarrassed if people come to find out that I've played the game for so long. They won't. They'll celebrate with you. When the lost is found, all of heaven celebrates. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask you to respond this morning to the Lord. If you need to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you come down and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand this morning and just say the word Jesus. We'll know what you're talking about. Or maybe you look and you say, I, I'm, I don't know that I want to take that step right now, but I, I want to have a conversation about it. If you'll fill out a connection card and check the box there, it talks about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll be in touch If you want to hang around after the service today and talk, we'd love to do that. Don't leave this building today unsure of whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. Church family, we've been called to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful to do that. Father, we ask that you would work in this place now, in the hearts and lives of those that are in this room. God, would you save those who are lost? Those who are far from you and those it appears are near to you but truly don't know you. How would you burden our hearts as a church family that this message, this hope is what this community desperately needs that you've called us to live and to serve in. God, use us. Use us this week. Open doors of opportunity for us to share the hope we found in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning? I want to encourage you, if you need to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior to respond right now. If you want to spend some time in prayer for your one, our altars are open. You respond as the Lord leads you.